Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Hello, Sharon. How are you this evening? Oh, I'm doing just great. How about yourself? Doing well. You know, this remote studio thing, we're getting used to it. Uh, Well, I wouldn't go that far. I still like our studio better. So how's your back? Back is better. Getting getting better, you know, after being laid on it for about uh, four or five days and muscle relaxants and prednisone and uh, no alcohol. I mean, I'm going crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, my goodness, you poor thing. Uh, You've just got to take it easy in the gym, I'm telling you. Hey, you know, the funny thing was I was I was lifting, but it was actually when I was putting the dumbbell back down that it did it and locked up and on my back for five days. So the dumbbell putting down the dumbbell. Well, I'll be. Uh, there we go. See, I left that open for you. Didn't I? <laughs> I You're an that. easy mark. I that, so. <laughs> well, we've got an exciting episode tonight, and we're recording tonight for the California Association of Nurse Anesthetists or Nurse Anesthesiologists. Which one are we going to say? Well, I guess that's going to be part of our discussion tonight, isn't it? It is. It is. Well, we've got uh, special guests with us tonight, and I'm going to just let you guys introduce yourself. Kieran, why don't we start with you? Hi, I'm Kieran Shamash. Um, I graduated from the USC uh, nurse anesthesia program in May of this year, and I just started about three weeks ago as a full-time CRNA for Keck Medicine of USC. Congratulations. That's that's wonderful. Um, Rochelle, and you are SRNA of the group. I am the SRNA of the group. I'm Rochelle Young. I also am currently in go to USC, University of Southern California. I am in my second year of my doctoral program, and we just started clinical a little bit later than usual, but we started in July. So I've been in there about three and a half months. All right. Great. Great. And then Ace. You're up next. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm Ace, Ace Pines. Um, I graduated San Marino University up in Oakland, California back in 2018. Went into practice right out of school and I've been practicing for the last two years. Been in, in a few different modes of practice in my very short time, which you know, I'll elaborate more on uh, later on. Okay, perfect. And last but not least, this, this guy is the the most experienced of the group. This is Mr. Oh, man. Mr. Will Santos. <laughs> you graduated in 2016, right? Uh, 2017. I probably, I, I have trouble with that all the time. I have to count back on my fingers. Um, I'm Will Santos. I'm a graduated Samuel Merritt's program in nurse anesthesia, whatever, a little over three years ago. is. So I think that's, wait, maybe it is 2016. <laughs> yeah, 2016. Oh, uh, honey, let me tell you, it just gets worse. <laughs> we, we won't tell how many years I've been doing this. <laughs> sure it is. Well, well uh, currently I'm practicing up in Northern California at Kaiser Permanente Sacramento, where I am the, the chief uh, nurse anesthetist there. Wow, that didn't take long. Nope. <laughs> I'm a little better at anesthesia than I am at counting on my fingers, apparently. There you go. Well, the cream always rises to the top, so they say. That's right. That's right. Well, we want to thank you guys for for being with us. Um, And our topic tonight, and I think we've got kind of a representative of all this, um, is what does Gen X and Y and me believe is the future of the nurse anesthesia profession? 
So, Sharon, what gen are you? I'm a baby boomer. Oh, yes, we have a baby boomer. <laughs> I'm an X. And I think, do we, do we have a millennial? I'm a Y. A Y? <laughs> I had to Google it tonight. <laughs> uh, so Ace, do you know what you are? Uh, I was born in late 80s. I don't know where that puts me, but I think it's more closer. You're a Y. Yeah. Yeah. You're a Y. Karen, what are you? I'm an X. You are an X, like Jeremy. Yes, and Will. I also, um, so I'm a millennial. I I grew up thinking I was a Gen Xer, but until recently, I started using Google and found out. And then you found out that you were a millennial or or a Y. Millennials or a Y. Okay, well, we're pretty representative on here. Well, actually, we're, every, well, we don't have a Z because there's not enough time for a Z. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. That'll be next. Well, you know, I think this topic is, is going to be interesting, Sharon, especially with the dynamics that's going on inside of the industry in the last few years. And Amen. this name change and descriptor and, and all the stuff that's happened. So we're just going to get it started off and you know what, Will, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay with you. Sure. What do you think it's going to take to move the, the nurse anesthesia, nurse anesthesiologist profession forward? Well, um, that's a good question. I think that's kind of what our generation, all the generations have come before us, too, have kind of been looking at. And recently, it starts to seem that we are in a reactive kind of state as a profession where we are kind of reacting to infringements upon and other organizations telling nurse anesthetists how they are to practice and what they are to, uh, where their role is. And I think it would, what we need to do is start becoming a proactive and taking those steps to really dictate how we are and what we are to the public as a whole and to the lawmakers and within our organization and start building us up from the essentially grassroots network that way. So, Kieran, let me ask you, what pieces of that do you think are important to help move us forward? Well, I, I really like what well, you pointed to our engagement. I do think that engagement on local political levels, state, national, um, for me, it's been really nice since school ended. I have time to kind of think about some of these things. And I've gotten involved in my children's school district. And I, I think that that gives me an idea of what's going on in my community and also gives a face, I think, to CRNAs amongst our local communities, which is important as well um, going forward. So I'm going to ask both of you guys, because you both brought forward advocacy and those kind of things. And uh, do you think that it's not been done in the past or... Do you think that there is a great baseline to work from? I think it's definitely gone on in the past. And it's something that we need to keep on building. And each generation that comes in uh, needs to kind of build on that base. And so this is not having to recreate something that or, or create something that doesn't exist. It's something that we have to double down and really kind of improve or evolve the efforts that have been there before us. Mm-hmm. How about you, Ace? What What are your thoughts on that? On that? I mean, when I was in school as a senior at RNA, I remember my program director telling me that we were a class of twenty eight or so, twenty four. That only one out of twenty four would be engaged uh, in 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 can or or other activities that we'll have. And at first, I thought, well, I don't really think so. I think I look around our class and we seem like we're all pretty uh, involved at the time we were attending, you know, association meetings in the fall and in the spring. And then I come into practice and um, sure enough, I have CRNAs that I work with who are obviously more experienced than me, uh, regardless in the ACT model, independent model, who are making twice my income because they work so, so much. And have very little to no desire in being a part of this movement. And so, and so my, my, my question to, to myself and, and to others is, this has always been an issue, um, getting CRNAs to be involved, but how can, we, how can we break out of that mold? 
And I don't, I don't have the answer to that, obviously. And that's why we're having this conversation, right? But that to me is always, um, it's always baffling and it's concerning. Um, I don't know if I answer your question, but I do believe that at first it really has to start from an internal desire to be a part of something bigger than yourself. I think that's where I would leave it at. Yeah. Well, it was kind of a loaded question, Ace, because I don't think anybody knows what that answer is. And we all wish we had it. And so we're just going to pick your brains to see Sharon, if you I guys know, have got any new is. ideas. Sharon, I know what the answer is. I've told you before, right? I, Jeremy does have the answer. <laughs> Jeremy, go ahead, lay it on us. Well, you know, I, I, I've been around this industry for over 20 years. And for you guys who don't know, my wife is a CRNA. I'm not, but, you know, sometimes I'm representative of a CRNA. But, um, but I look at the industry completely different because I'm not in it. And mm -hmm. what I see is that we've had this boom in incomes and this boom in the demand for CRNAs, you know, since the 90s. Um, and it's been a really good ride. And, you know, a lot of people that have gotten involved in this industry, um, you know, money was a, a derivative and a, a driving factor. And we've seen CRNA incomes go up and so forth. Um, and I think until something changes where you feel threatened, you're not going to take that extra step unless you just absolutely are a Sharon Pierce and you do want to better your profession and you want to see more and more because the leaders before you have taught you that. So uh, Randy, Randy Moore and I have had this conversation and I've kind of espoused this to him. But at some point, I believe that there's going to come a time when CRNA salaries are going to stagnate, when we start to see some changes in the industry, um, they're going to start to moderate. And I believe that at that point, when you've got a CRNA who's used to making $187,000 a year and they come in and say, you know what, you're only going to make 120 now and you've, you've developed this lifestyle to live off 187, I think it's going to take something dramatic like that to get more people involved in the industry. And again, that's just my viewpoint on it. But, um, you know, being around as many CRNAs as I am and listening to them say, I don't like the political side. I don't want to be involved in that. Um, you know, I just want to go in and I want to do my job and I want to go home. It's going to take something that affects them at their personal level before you're going to see more people get involved in the industry. Um, just to piggyback on what you were saying, a hot topic of recent in the last year or so is AB5. And I, and I know that Ken has done a good job in, in reprimanding that as of late. But um, just to scale back a year ago, year and a half ago, I work with a lot of 1099 providers. And um, when this all came about, it's the fear of the unknown that has really gotten their attention. And in doing so, just like what you were saying, a threat to their income has definitely perked up their ears. They're now paying attention to their CANA emails. They're now renewing their membership. So, I mean, that's exactly proof of what you just said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord, don't give him any fodder. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that he's, he's right. And for somebody such as myself, who has been in leadership within the organization for more years than I care to count sometimes, whenever there is a threat, um, for instance, in North Carolina, when they are trying to put physician supervision of nurse anesthetists in the statute, CRNAs do step up. I guess the question on everybody's minds is how do we get them to step up before the threat is at our front door? Exactly. And that's the the $100,000 question that we all have. But Rochelle, um, not to leave you out of this conversation, and I know that you are not even all the way into the profession and you're just three months into clinical and just looking for the buckle cords right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, what are your thoughts about some of the things that we're talking about right now? You know, it's funny, even only being three months into clinical, a year and a half really into getting into this profession, I already feel threatened. I don't know if it's things that we're being taught in school, but I already feel threatened. And I that's what really drives me to want to know what's going on nationally. And as a state, I feel really lucky to be at a program like USC, where we have faculty 
that is very involved on the state and national level. And I think it really starts with engaging your SRNAs. And that's how you get people to try and achieve things without first being threatened. Very good point. Um, I went to Wake Forest University and it was expected that we would be involved. Uh, Sandy Marie Ouellette was my program director, and I s- always believed that if I didn't renew my AANA membership, she somehow knew, and I was afraid she would kill me in my bed at night, So, which is not a bad thing because it always kept, kept me active. And, you know, you bring up a very good point. If you start when, when you're in school, it's something that you know. Um, there have been six national presidents from my program, and that's more than any other school in the country. But it is, it is put in our minds from day one, whenever we start into the program, that you will be involved. So I think you're exactly right. Yeah, very a, smart girl. That in, for sure. <laughs> so I guess you know. Let's go back to Will. Whenever you graduated, whether it was three or four years ago, <laughs> <laughs> why did you join the AANA? Why did you feel compelled to do so? Pretty much up and down California, I feel like our programs do a really good job about professional engagement. And at Sam Merritt, they too kind of instilled that like you're going to go, you're going to participate in the AANA. And, you know, there was heavily impressed that, you know, mid-year assembly, you go and advocate for the profession. And you saw your faculty being active in uh, the state uh, level. You saw them being active nationally. And you see those role models and you see that as, as an SRNA, you are forming your picture of what it is to be a professional and what it is to be a professional anesthetist. And by surrounding yourselves with people who are professionally engaged, that's the vision that you uh, form. So, you know, without a doubt, I figured on, on a bad year when I'm just not have, don't have any extra motivation me, at least I'm don't, I have my dues that are paying for people who could go and do the work that needs to be done. And I donate to the PACs. And so at least, you know, when I don't have the physical or mental capabilities of it, I at least maintain that and maintain contact. So Yeah. And as Sharon, you always say, that's a mm-hmm. very active role in the association, just paying your dues. That makes sure that the rest of us who don't know when to go away <laughs> <laughs> uh, can still remain active. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So Karen, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's interesting. I had this, I, I love what Rochelle said and um, Will and Ace, but I had a professor, um, a faculty member at USC, Chuck Griffiths, who was really impressed upon me from my first day, not only just how important it was to engage with nurse anesthesia related issues, but also just to look at things that I cared about in my own community and to advocate for those things to engage, you know, on a, a community on a state level with my representatives on issues that aren't even related to nurse anesthesia, just to make sure that we have a presence in all areas um, and that we're showing civic engagement in all areas. And that I, re- I saw something recently about how you're not apolitical, you're just comfortable with the current political environment. <laughs> There's no such thing as apolitical. And I think that's true. Like I I see things around me that make me uncomfortable that I'm not okay with. And the way to approach those, I think, is to engage, um, whether it's attending town halls or, you know, whatever it is, or or text banking or whatever it is, to engage and make sure that our representatives see us, know who we are, and know that we care and we're paying attention. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. And, And Kieran, now when you're in school, you have children, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how was that with going through the program and with children and, and did it affect your advocacy any during that time? Um, it was a survival. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. How how old were your kids whenever you were going through? Karen? When I started, my daughter was eight months old. Wow. Oh, my Lord. My, do- my son was three. So they're six and four now. Uh, but yeah, it was. 
it was i don't it's a it's a little foggy some of it <laughs> oh. <laughs> but i will say this and i mentioned it a little bit earlier is is my kids have given me kind of a window into, especially now that I have a son in public elementary school, in a window sort of into issues in the community that I may not have thought about in other ways, especially how we educate our children, um, how we work together as a community, where funding goes. I'm really just a, a freshman student of all of this, but I'm, I'm appreciative that they have given me a window into sides and parts of my community that affect so many families. Um, and that overlaps absolutely with healthcare. I think in that way, yeah, they have they have influenced my advocacy or my awareness of what's going on in our community. Well, Chuck can influence anybody. He's a great guy. I've known Chuck. I served on the foundation board with him, and uh, buy him a glass of Malbec and tell him Sharon sent you. Okay. <laughs> That sounds amazing right now. <laughs> he is he is he is a good guy. So what do you think from your a generational point of view, Ace, what do you think will move our profession forward? I remember in school one of my teachers taught us that we're now entering a profession. Um and I didn't really fully grasp that until I started practicing as a as a CRNA. A profession is something that you feel like you have a moral obligation to, right, to, to move forward, to move along. It's not a job where you just kind of punch in and out um, for eight hours or whatever the case may be. So I think, like I had mentioned earlier, it's just having this internal desire to um, really try to give something back in return, whether it's just like what Will said, if you're mentally, physically uh, incapable of doing so because of other responsibilities donating your money. If not, you know, take on uh, some mentorship role with your SRNAs or um, help out in your in, in your local program directors. I do feel like there's other avenues to pursue um, if one is willing to. The question is, will you be willing to? Very good point. So, Rochelle, coming from a student point of view, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I think Definitely, we are entering into a profession. And I think one thing that's really important to my generation is to diversify our workforce even more. Serving at two different hospitals, you know, our patient populations are so diverse that our workforce should really reflect that. And so I think that comes down to, you know, not only just new recruiting opportunities, um, things like Lena Gold has done with Diversity CRNA, which is amazing. I have many friends that have gone to that, but it also reflects upon programs looking for new ways to capture a really diverse workforce to put out there. Well, you know, that kind of brings up something that Will had written down on one of his sheets um, that he sent us. So what do you see as a solution to the public awareness problem for our profession? Because clearly there seems to be a problem or we would be more diversified. I don't know. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Will, kick us off. I think that's that's a big part of us always being stuck in this reactive versus proactive kind of thing because it doesn't really matter what you call a nurse anesthetist or nurse anesthesiologist if they don't know what we are or who we are that we exist you could call us whatever we want and they still don't comprehend that and so i think uh karen had a great point too just being active in the community having like a nurse anesthetist at town halls educating our patients of that we are indeed a nurse anesthetist and i can't tell you how many times i've introduce myself as a nurse anesthetist and what I am and how I'm going to provide for them. Then I walk out the door and say, thank you, doctor. I'm like, but, you know, educating through there and then making sure that every individual who's going through a nursing program knows that nurse anesthesia is an advanced practice role and knowing how, how we function, why we function and what it takes to become one. I think we, we go to those, initial training programs and plant that seed and nurse anesthesia is what originally got me into nursing and you know just kind of it plants that seed is like, oh this is awesome and how do i get there and i think just kind of building building up that way 
Will, you bring up a good point, uh, something that I've said for years and years. I mean, it's important to share with your patients. I believe that you're a nurse anesthetist. It always irritates me when people say I'm with the anesthesia department. I mean, what are you, a chair? Um, <laughs> but to identify yourself. But I will say it's very stressful whenever you're the one on the operating room table, which I have been on numerous occasions. But it's just like climbing onto a plane. Uh, I'm not asking the pilot then to give me his credentials. I've already made that move. <laughs> I am on that plane and I'm trusting that they're going to do a good job and I don't ask then. But it's in everyday life, just like Karen was talking about. Carry your role with you. I mean, people always wear this CRNA pen all the time. and People always ask, oh, is your name Cerna? No, <laughs> I'm a CRNA. And that gives you a perfect opportunity to tell who you are and what you do. Now, you men are welcome to wear the bling pin if you want to. Chuck Griffiths wears the bling pin. I gave him one. But not all men feel comfortable wearing a blingy pin. Um, but that being said, your chance to, to educate everybody is in everything else that you do. When you are a soccer mom and you're sitting there while your kids are playing soccer, and I always ask everybody, what do you do for a living? And I, because it fascinates me, I always knew I was going to do this. So I want to know how, uh, what other people do. But what are they going to ask you next? So what do you do for a living? And that's your opportunity to educate them too. So I really appreciate what, what you said about that. And it's important to wrap that up with you, your role, who you are, everywhere you go. Well, Sharon, that also brings up, you know, the name change. I think this is probably a pretty good mm -hmm. time to ask about that because, um, you know, CRNAs were the best kept secret in healthcare. And I'd be interested in knowing from each one of you how you feel about the name change um, and calling yourself anesthesiologist instead of anesthetist. And Ace, we'll start with you. So I've been going back and forth uh, with this. And this is just my own, obviously my own personal opinion. It doesn't reflect uh, anyone else's. I'm for it, especially coming right out of school. I worked in a setting where like a month after my quote unquote one day orientation, I was the sole provider in a building. Um, and it wasn't until then where I fully grasped um, the responsibility of what I do for a living. And so when you have that and you feel that, uh, that every decision you make could be a matter of life and death for, for the individual that you're taking care of. I feel like that's really taking ownership of, of your, your craft, of skill sets that you trained for, of the education that you're, you trained for, of the application that you're practicing. And so in that regard, I'm not opposed to using the, the terminology because if, if I am practicing every single role of an anesthesia provider, that I feel makes me an expert in that role. I do understand. I also work in a, you know, in, in a different model in the ACT model where I am limited to certain roles. And, and I'm not that I'm not allowed to, but my scope in that area is far less compared to when I am uh, working in my other job. And so in that regard, I feel like in, in regards to the setting that I'm in and the scope of practice that I'm able to, to work in, the capacity I'm able to work in, I'm definitely all for it, especially if the provider who's using it can back up what they're claiming themselves out to be. You know, Sharon and I did a lot of podcasts on this with folks that were on both sides of the equation. Sure. And, you know, one of the things that we got from folks who were on the educator side or the educational side was, I think this is going to cause problems for us with our students. And Rochelle, I'm going to have you kind of speak to that. If you've noticed anything like that since this has been going on, or if your, your professors are talking about this, and, and what do you feel about this situation? I love the name change. I think my family who is like, what's an anesthetist? You know, just people that aren't in healthcare maybe don't know what that is. But when you say you're a nurse anesthesiologist or a student of nurse anesthesiology, that just resonates with people. So I think that it's just going to give us better, you know, visual 
the world's going to kind of know what we're doing and what we have been doing. Do I think that our physician counterparts are going to have some things to kind of say about that and not going to like about it? Of, of course. But I think it was a great move. I think our faculty has been really good and talked to us about the name change and we've kind of seen both sides of it. But when you look at places, you know, what is really in a name? Like, I think it's in Europe where anesthesia providers there call themselves anesthetists, right? So, well, anesthetists. So, Will, you are a chief CRNA. Um, have you noticed any pushback from the physician anesthesiologists since this has been going on at your facility? Uh, I haven't noticed any real change in our practice. You know, we're, we're nurse anesthetists. We're nurse anesthesiologists. I'm proud to be a nurse anesthetist. I'm proud that nurse anesthetists were the first providers of anesthesia. And I'm also proud to be an anesthesiologist and an expert, like I said, in anesthesiology. And I'm proud that I took the nursing path to anesthesiology uh, versus the physician path. But I feel that with so much going on and so much like battle between the ASA and the AANA, and even with that, you know, this is just like kicking the hornet's nest. And it's just kind of like, why? What is there really to gain from it? And Rochelle had a great point that, you know, people know what an anesthesiologist is, but is it because they just equate that to a physician anesthesiologist? Or is it because they're actually hearing like a nurse then and adding anesthesia? Oh, nurses could do that too. And so, you know, there's still education points no matter how, how you call us. And I haven't noticed any, any issue with the, my physician colleagues or anything, but I don't, don't anticipate any either. Well, Will, you brought up a good point. You, you said it's like kicking the hornet's nest. And I think that's interesting because when we were, we were doing our podcast on the back and forth of this, um, you know, some of the folks who were for the name change actually said, you know, the ASA has kicked us around. They have been, been the more aggressive. We've got to take an aggressive stance here. And, you know, I've heard all of you have said that in, in certain ways throughout this session today. So, you know, and I think that was part of it is the ASA has said things that, you know, the ANA doesn't think is true. And, you know, we're going to take the initiative and kind of push this thing forward. You know, so I think that's part of it. Kieran, you got anything to add there? No, I mean, I think Ace and Lynn Rochelle did such an amazing kind of rundown of, of the different ways to approach this issue. I haven't, it hasn't come up in my extremely long tenure of three weeks as a CRNA. <laughs> 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 um, but I, you know, I will say there, I, I have noticed pushback at times about the doctoral training which is interesting. Um, as far as the name change go, I totally see Rochelle and Ace's point. I also see Will's point as well. And and I like that Will that you brought <laughs> that you brought up the history of the name. I think that's one of the things that I think about when I when I consider this issue is I do think you know our, our history is so compelling. I'm so proud of it. But at the same time, I also recognize that it isn't well known and it's not something that people know a lot about. It's not something that's easily recognizable to the general public sometimes. So in that sense, I, I understand the importance of, of changing the name to something that's a little more accessible. But I haven't you know, made uh, one decision one way or the other in terms of exactly how I feel about it. I, I see the nuance in the issue. Well, speaking to the fact that this has been an ongoing issue as of late within our organization. And some people, there's been some polarization about it. How important do you guys think it is for us as an association to have a unified front? You guys looking in from the outside. Well, just like, just like anything in life, you know, you will, we will accomplish so much more if we are unified together. Um, we will accomplish so much more if we're all maybe not so much unanimous because we will all have different uh, feelings and interpretation of certain things. But if we share the common interest, I do think that it will only improve our situation. It will only get us to where we want to be as our end goal. So there's really, I don't think anyone in here would debate that 
not having a unified organization will will do us no better. So I do understand that this topic and it might change and people don't like change, right? I mean, CRNAs have been or we've been calling ourselves our synesthetists for 150 um, years. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. And now we're we're taking such a huge step, right? It feels like a huge step at least. So, you know, uh, I don't know the, I, I feel like I've read a statistic once where um, the average age of a CRNA, I believe is in the late fifties. I might be wrong. But Not quite there early yet, early but 50s, we're in mid forties, late forties. Mid forties. Right, right, right. And so, um, you know, I, I do understand that the older I get, uh, I, I still feel young, but I, I'm, much, <laughs> I, I'm becoming to become a lot more conservative in my approach than I was back in my um, early 20s because I have family to provide for and, so, and, and things and so forth. And I feel like it's the same approach that we take in our careers. And so this is a very bold move, you know, and one that you would just have to uh, kind of really embrace it, go, go with it and see where it takes us. But we also need to definitely have, you know, some backing, not just from the newer generation of CRNAs, but also from the um, more seasoned generation of CRNAs. Nobody ever uses the word older anymore. It's seasoned, you know? Well, exactly. I don't, I don't have a problem with that <laughs> at all. So, Rochelle, have you been to some of our meetings prior to COVID, obviously, uh, some of the AANA meetings? Yes, uh, I actually was at Canna last year in Palm Springs. And then unfortunately, I was supposed to be at Mid-Year Assembly in mm. DC and as part of the mentorship program. And then I sure. think that that all got canceled. But, you know, I think my generation really appreciates how much everyone has been able to evolve. You know, we're still in school, we're doing it Zoom virtually, but we're so grateful for all the technology that we have or else, you know, we'd be out of school stalling our graduation. And yeah. Well, speaking of uh, Canna and the organizations, what can be done to engage you guys, your generation to get you to come to the meetings, et cetera. And I'll, I'll give you an example. And then I'll definitely want to hear from you. Ace, a friend of mine thinks that because we've gone to virtual meetings, that that's what you guys like. And on the other hand, uh, seasoned CRNAs like in-person meetings. So I'm really, I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on this, Ace. Well, just to prove a case in point, I believe the the voter turnout for this previous ANA um, election results was, I believe. Uh, a lot higher than it has been the past couple of years in the thousands, right? And I think that one huge proponent of that is uh, the use of social media, in particular Facebook. Uh, I, be, I don't know if y'all are, are part of the, the big CRNA, SRNA group, but like nearly half of the CRNAs that are practicing out there are participating members. Whether they check their Facebook or not, there are participating members of this. So I think it's just using social media um, especially we have to cater to the CRNAs that are entering the workforce now. And the matter of fact is, you know, most of them are going to be millennials are going to be using technology. So appealing to them and finding it, let's be real. Millennials are lazy. We want things very instantaneous. We want things to appeal to us right away. We don't want to wait. And so finding a way to like give them rapid information in a split second is very ideal. So I think the use of social media, I think it's getting better. It's definitely, I pretty much only use Facebook just to follow uh, a CRNA group. So uh, better use of that, uh, I think, will only be advantageous to us moving forward. You know, Sharon, and you always hear the ANA talking about member engagement. You know, that's been a big theme. Um, and I think, what is the statistic on the number of CRNAs? Is it 90 some percent are members of ANA? I remember right. right, close to 90%. Now it has been dropping about half a percent a year. And the groups that we're losing are you guys. It's zero to five years out of school. Yeah. And we've been, gosh, even since I was president, we were engaging consultants trying to find out what it would take to bring those people into the fold. And I mean, I'm clearly biased about the organization because I think that if you're not a member, you're a freeloader. 
I mean, you are riding on the coattails of people like myself and others who spend all this time advocating uh, for our profession. You know, I've got the Speaker of the House phone number in my cell phone. I can text him. I mean, I, uh, I've been active. So how do we get your generation to, to join our association? I mean, like I said, we're dropping. Our numbers are dropping. When I come out of school, 96% of all nurse anesthetists belong to the organization and we've been going down ever since and it can't be the money i mean what are the dues 645 dollars or something yeah that's it i, I mean, mean it's, it's like oh five percent kieran what do you what is your take on that this is a tough question i'll be honest with you i i mean i wish i had the answer i go you know um start a business around it um but i i do think what we spoke about before with the importance of starting, um, Sharon, like you were saying, the importance of starting when you're a first year SRNA, understanding the importance of advocacy and presence in your organization. So whatever we can do, and I don't know if any, if things have changed in the programs or if, if there is a difference in terms of how we're preparing people or incentivizing students to um, be involved. Definitely anything we can do to incentivize students, whether it's you know, figuring out a scholarship program, which I know we have. I know we have ways that help them to engage uh, with the organization at a low cost to them or no cost. I really appreciate what A said about the use of social media. I think that's huge. And we've really seen it explode since April, May, June um, as a way to share information and to share resources and to talk about some of these topics that are difficult for us to talk about and to face things that are going on in our country. And in that sense, I think, you know, in terms of, of the conferences themselves, to have um, sessions and speakers that center around issues that are important to Gen X, Y, millennials, um, all of the generations, <laughs> I don't remember all the names, um, but to come up with topics that really would attract that group, whether it is healthcare disparities, one of my interests is narrative medicine. I know is sort of a up and coming area of medicine itself and, and a big area and self-care issues, things that are important to our generations, I think have to be front and center when we're deciding whatever the lineup is for those, those conferences. Yeah. Those are just a few of my ideas. So Will, what's your take on this? You know, I did notice a couple of things on your episode planning sheet. You know, you mentioned business needed to be a fundamental part of nurse anesthesia training. Do you think if we had a little more business background and CRNAs understood more of the business side of anesthesia, that maybe we could bring more, you know, millennials, zero to fives back into the association and engage them more? I'm not sure if necessarily that's like the one-stop answer. One of the things that we need to make sure that all of our programs are doing is that we're training every NAR to be able to go out there and practice to the full scope of practice and to be able to uphold all 14 standards of the nurse anesthesia practice. And then be able to, nurse anesthesia is an awesome profession with many different avenues of practice opportunity. And being able to find a need, identify a need, write up a proposal, present it, and see that all the way through realization of an anesthetic practice would be huge and open up many avenues in most of our states for, you know, like the rise of our ketamine infusion centers. And, uh, you know, we got uh, programs that now have great fellowship uh, for like regional nerve blocks and really accentuate that but for if we want to look at how to maintain uh practice uh, or maintain professional engagement as an srna i went and i called uh, non non-active canon members trying to get them to re-up uh, their memberships and one of the big things i heard is that like the negativity in the organization and the infighting and you know, we talked about unified front. We don't need to have a consensus, but we need to have a unified front. We need to respect the differences and be able to have civil discourse where people could disagree. And we've got to embrace failure at all, at all aspects of our anesthetic practice and then be able to build up from there. And if we're able to see that people are able to, are encouraged to stand up, if people are 
praised for the courage that it takes to take on a leadership role or take on an active role. And even if they fail, we embrace that because then now we could grow from that. And I think if we start changing the whole culture around our discourse as a profession, we will keep, especially these millennials who want everyone to hug them and tell them we're all great and everything. If we're able to <laughs> <laughs> like hugs. Yeah. We're all wanting hugs again after COVID. (laughs) But, you know, you bring up a good point about the negativity, the fighting, all of those kind of things. But what's interesting is you also uh, extol social media. And that's where a lot of the negativity seems to be housed at. I mean, you know, whenever I was AANA president, I did not engage on social media because it was absolutely brutal. And, you know, I, I just didn't need that in my life. I was trying to run an organization. And so I'm not too sure how you marry those two things. Ace, you extolled uh, social media. How do you think you marry those two things? Oh man, that's a that's a very difficult uh, question, and I don't know if I have the answer um, for that. I don't think anybody does, and I certainly yeah. don't mean to be picking on you with yeah, the ten thousand no, dollar questions I mean, here. If anything, I would just bring it back to our profession that we're all professionals, and we can, as a professional, uh, you may not always agree with each other, but you want to put the organization's interests before yourself. It just sounds so basic, but I feel like sometimes basic is what we need, you know, and we just get sidetracked with all the nuances around us. But um, I think just trying to keep it simple is just how I'm going to put it. Um, I do feel like there's a lot of merits to using social media. Not only can you reach out current CRNAs, but you can also, you also be able to blast to the general population and use that uh, as a platform rather than you know us not being known what we are until until a patient comes into pre-op and then they finally figure out oh there's actually a nurse anesthetist in this world you know so using that as a tool but you know back to your original question about um, having negative vibe in social media it's always going to be like that I mean you know people uh, it's very easy to type something behind a keyboard or, or, or your phone and not be confronted physically and not have the courage to confront someone physically with, with what you have to say. So it's always going to be like that. But I just hope that, you know, we can kind of weed out those very small percentage of people that are, that are doing that. Yeah. It's definitely a double-edged sword, social media. Well, yeah. Well, I will say, CRNAs are strong personalities. No. We, ha- we have to be. We have to be. You know, I used to didn't cuss until I first got, came out of anesthesia school. And sometimes if you've got a surgeon who don't want to listen to you, if you just say it in a pretty way, he doesn't get it. So I learned how to curse. <laughs> but that being said, you know, whenever you guys each get into a leadership role, which will already is and you guys will soon follow I can tell the things that make CRNAs good are also the things that make them difficult to lead but it's also the very things that made this profession what it is today because there weren't any wallflowers around that helped create this profession and move it forward. And as my mentor, one of my mentors, Sandy Marie Ouellette says, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Well, those giants were not wallflowers. And so it, it makes us hard to lead. Um, but just remember that when you're sitting in that seat, I had to remind myself of that many, many times. That's a good point, Sharon. Well, Sharon, as we kind of wrap this one up, I'm going to ask everybody uh, what you'd like to conclude on. And Rochelle, we'll start with you. Well, I just want to say thank you for including SRNAs in this. I think that is awesome and a very important step going forward for our California um, Association as well as our national 
national organization. The SRNAs that are coming out of school and the ones in school right now really appreciate it. And it's good to know that we can have a voice on platforms like this. Absolutely. You guys are the future. So Absolutely. And we created this podcast for uh, people like you. And actually, 70% of our listeners are between 23 and 34 years of age. And growing. So Ace, why don't you uh, tell us what you'd like to conclude on here today? Yeah, it's just kind of what I've been hammering um, my point this, this last hour. And it's just really challenging CRNAs to, to take a stand and um, and follow through and not be passive, just like what, um, and reactive, just like what Will's been saying as well, too. But start being the aggressor, start, start trying to take hold of your career and be responsible just as much as you are responsible of taking care of your patient, whether you, whatever practice model you work in. And take pride in that. And just like what Sharon's point is, we are difficult to to lead, I guess. As, um, but I do feel like we work with very strong individuals. You definitely have to have tough skin to work as a CRNA. You're just always an underdog. You know, um, sometimes not only do the surgeons, physicians don't show us as much respect as command respect as we like to, but our fellow nurses even don't see us in the same light as our fellow CRNAs do, obviously. So we all, I, I do feel like us CRNAs will always have a chip on our shoulder. And um, and we just use that, use that as a positive motivation to get us through the day. Um, we can't win every battle out there, but if you just stand true to your profession, be just be clean and, and um, be be active, uh, I, I feel like your work will, will show itself and you wouldn't have to um you wouldn't have to talk as much just like i am talking as much right now (laughs) (laughs) you you did you said great ace that was wonderful that was great um kieran anything you'd like to conclude on i i mean i want to thank you both for for having us on and and really trying to to figure out how to move our profession forward and i'm just very grateful for this opportunity and and also grateful for the, the work that you do on the podcast. I think it's, you tackle some subjects that are really important for us as SRNAs. And I see a whole new value in it now that I'm a newly minted CRNA. So thank you for that. And I, I'm also very grateful for all of the teachers that I've had along the way to get me to this point. I really think, you know, what we have to do is one of the things that I loved when I got into anesthesia was I felt like I had found my people. <laughs> I came in and I was like, you guys are weird and quirky and I love it. Like, I'm so happy here. And I think to Ace's point, you know, we, the more we can remember that about each other, that we're in this together and and the more we can kind of come together, even despite our quirky, weird differences, I think that the more successful we're going to be and the, the better care that we're going to give our patients, because that is our North star is is how we care for them. Um, and so everything that we do has to come back to that. So yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. And it's given me a lot to think about as well. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And Will, I'm going to kind of lead you a little bit here because um, in, in your conclusion, you know, the one thing that really stuck out to me when I was reading through your information was you said, know your value. So I'd, I'd maybe like for you to conclude on that. Well, thank you guys uh, for having us and welcome virtually to sunny California. Um, but yeah, know your value. Not only that, know your value and know our value and know that together we, we're strong. And then you can, once you know your value and once you know the value of our profession, you're no longer having to justify our existence. You're now able to go out there with our, your full practice and exhibit the benefit to our patients and to the surgeons and exhibit how the nurse anesthetists are the best anesthesia providers in this country or nurse anesthesiologists. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll leave it to the money guy to to want to talk <laughs> about know your value. Know your value. Well, I have one concluding question. Who defines your practice? Anybody? Who defines your practice? We define our practice. We would like to think that. Who does define your practice? 
the state? The nursing board. You think the nursing board defines your practice? Who gives the nursing board their authority? Your state legislature. So in North Carolina, 120 representatives and 50 senators define my practice. Okay. Now, can I help define that practice by knowing who they are and having a relationship with them? Yes, I can. But your state legislature is who defines your practice because they give the nurse, your nursing board, their authority. So I want to challenge you guys to make sure that you know your legislators. I'm not going to ask you if you do, uh, but know who represents you, know them personally, and make your phone number the first number they call when something comes across their desk that says anesthesia. Good point, Sharon. Leave it to you to bring it back to the political side, right? I know, right? You were talking about money. I got to talk about politics. Well, I'll tell you the the, the one thing that is really evident to me just from looking at this group and listening to you guys is that the future of Mm -hmm. being a nurse anesthesiologist or or nurse anesthetist is bright. All of you, well-spoken, well-representative of nurse anesthesia. Rochelle, you're going to be amazing. I can already tell. Yes. Um, so we want to thank you guys for being on with us today. And uh, we, we just know you're going to do great things. Absolutely. The future is bright. And trust me, I've been around for a little while. And there has never been a better time to be a CRNA. She's been around a long time, guys. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, Sharon, I, I think this is going to be a wrap here. I think this is going to be a great session and uh, really appreciate Canna for having us do this. And uh, I've learned and hopefully uh, everyone else will too. Yeah. Maybe the next time we get to do it on a stage, which is so fun whenever yeah. we do it live in front of an audience because you get feedback. It's really cool. I'm so ready for COVID to be over. I'm ready for meetings again myself. So, Mm, well, we want to thank our listeners also, Sharon, for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. And if you like our show, the single best way to help the show grow is to tell others. Um, Sharon, you know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country now. I know. I want to be in the top 10. Well, the only way is if people tell other people about it. So, We appreciate you guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, have a great day. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.